0: Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge Church is available at westbridgedanville.com. Welcome to Westbridge. We're really glad that you're here today. Um, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving holiday, and I know that we probably have several families and extended families here today who might not normally come here traveling out of town, so we want to give a special welcome to you as well. Uh, My name is Seth Baker. I'm the kids pastor here at Westbridge, and back in March, um, John asked me about, uh, well, we were talking about what our theme was for this year and how our theme was going to be pure, and just really talking through that and focusing through that, and back in March, he asked me if I would be willing to... uh, preach the Sunday after Thanksgiving and have it be kind of like a life testimony of what pure I've seen in my personal walk with Christ or or in my journey reading through scripture. So um, this kind of has been in my heart a lot since March and it's been some uh, really neat just to see what God has has been teaching me and showing me and I'm really excited to get to share with you today some of the things that um, the truth that God has given us in scripture that uh might not at first see like how does purity all fit into this but we're going to kind of visit it at the end so I'm really looking forward to that and and it started with um this summer uh when when we were teaching in the elementary and we were teaching on this this concept this word and, and the word was confidence and you know confidence is it's kind of one of those words that you look around in the world today and in school everyone's talking about confidence in, in school you know like with kids, but you can be whoever you want to be. Just be confident in yourself, and you can achieve it. You hear it in and all these things, these memes online or or um, different things of of pictures that that just have all of these kind of self help things of of just work as hard as you can and be confident in yourself, and you can accomplish anything. And and it's neat because people do accomplish a lot of stuff when they're when they're confident in themselves and and they take that. Um, but in all of those things, there's a risk, and there's when there comes a risk, it can easily lead to failure as well. And it's not a confidence that that assured our, the world's view of confidence is very misguided and it's very misled. And when we were teaching in the elementary, uh, the definition for confidence that that we came across, uh, which was something that really kind of, really dug deep into my heart, and, and it's really kind of changed my thoughts and my view uh, of, of what confidence, what true, what pure confidence really looks like. And it was this. It was confidence is living like you believe what God says is true. Now, there's two pieces to this. The, the first one I want to point out, is, it's believing what God says is true. Um, and, you know, we think a lot of, you know, what uh, well, we think of confidence of what I want, I can get, what I see, what I say what I want to do, I'm going to do that, but really, it's all about what God wants, and what God says, and what God is telling us that it's true, and, and really what God says goes, so if I am following my own desires to go this way, and trying to make it happen with myself, and say this is the way that I should go in my life, and God is saying something completely different, it's not what I say, it's what God says, and that confidence is living like you believe what God says is true as opposed to what anyone else says is true. And the second piece uh, that really got me personally was the word living. Living like you believe what God says is true. And we were telling all of these stories of, of different things about like Elijah and Mount Carmel when, when the prophets of Baal were, were crying out to their God to send fire on the sacrifice. And, and then Elijah called on to God to send fire on the sacrifice. And, and God answered Elijah's prayer. And it happened, and and Elijah, trusting in God's power to do it. We talked about stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up for their faith in Christ and being thrown into the blazing furnace, but they believed, and they told King Nebuchadnezzar that God is powerful enough to save us from your hand. And even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter because we trust him and we have confidence in him. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says that Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And, and we think of faith, a lot of times we, we kind of box faith in as, as really believing in something, believing what God says is true, even if we can't see it, touch it, feel it, or really know it. But this definition of faith is saying that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And I love, I actually looked up the word, the Greek word confidence that's used there. And the word for confidence is talking like a structure and a foundation. It's kind of like a structure for a foundation. And this is actually part of the definition I looked up. I love it. And it's that which has actual existence. Faith is the confidence. It's that which has actual existence in what we hope for. We talked about hope. All year, last year, you could go back and look at some of those. And then it's the assurance about what we do not see. And the word assurance, is, it means it's been tested and proven. It's like a conviction inside of us. So it's actually a pretty scientific term when you think about it. You know, it, it has been tested and it has been proved and that has developed a conviction inside of us. And it's on things that we do not see. So faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And when you look at that, it's not this blind faith. It's not this, this um, thing that, oh, well, maybe, maybe all of these doubts that can surface in our mind. No, real faith is having confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And it's living like we believe what God says is true. And when, when I was working through all of this summer, and um, it was one of those summers where I was probably learning way more than we were teaching the kids, because I, almost everything, I just wanted to dive into the word and look at the promises that God gives us, and sift out, you know, the things that we, we might want to be, you know, like we think God says, but you know, he really doesn't say, but what are the things that God really does say, and what we can be confident in, what we can hold on to as a tested and proven assurance in our hearts, and it's something that has actual existence. And then not only believe that, but I want to live like that with everything that I have. And so uh, I am really excited to talk about uh, three, three areas that is definitely not comprehensive, but these three areas are core to what we believe in our faith and what God has done in our lives and in our hearts and has set us to do that we can be confident in, and we can have assurance in, and we can live like we believe that it's true. And so as we're talking about these, um, I would like us to, to, like you to think about it as, as a, a lens to kind of be questioning your heart in these areas. One, do I believe it? Because I think a lot of us sitting here, we would be really quick to believe, you know, the Bible says that we believe it, that it's true. But then I also want you to ask the question, do I live like I believe that this is true. Is is my belief in this transforming my life and what I think and what I feel and what, I, and what I'm doing and how I'm trusting? And so the first of those areas we're going to talk about, it's going to talk about where we stand before God and particularly where we stand before God after we've placed our faith in Jesus. So these three things we're talking about, they're really... Um, There are truths that we can be confident in if we've placed our faith in Jesus, if we're following Jesus, and if we've accepted his free gift of salvation. So if you are not following Jesus today, um, you get to see a picture of what it really means and how it changes a Christ follower to know what Christ has done in you. But you can't claim that for yourself until you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And, And that's an invitation for you today, that it can happen today, it can be right now. So the first one we're going to talk about is where we stand before God once we put our faith in Jesus. The second one, then, is how that has transformed us and changed us to set us in the trajectory that God wants us to go. And then the third one we're talking about, that can sometimes be a discouraging journey, but we have been given a power that lives inside of us. And that power that we've been given, we can have confidence in and know that that's going to give us the strength we need move ahead. So if you'd like to, you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to be talking uh, through several different passages of Romans, um, and these three passages we'll be talking about, each one has a lot to them, and there is no way I could even unpack a single one of them in in a full sermon, but we want to just kind of have a big, broad view, and just a basic thing, just to kind of get us started on these on these truths and on these beliefs and, and the confidence that we can have in them. So I'm going to pray real quick. Uh, Father, I do pray that as we come uh, before you today, I pray that you will speak. Um, we're going to read your word today, and I just pray that you, when the word is read, that it will be brought forth in power, and the power of your spirit will rest um, in our hearts, and it will uh, convict us, it will transform us, it will encourage us, it will um, break us down if needed to, build us up if needed to, Lord, I just pray that um, I know it's alive, and it's active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword, so I pray that as we, uh, we speak it, we read it, and then talk about it, that you will just do a work um, that is far beyond what we can, can trust and imagine. Lord, I thank you for everyone here at Westbridge today and the family that they are, uh, the friends that they are, and just um, the, the heart you have for your church uh, here at Westbridge. In your name I pray, amen. Um, so the first thing we're going to talk about is where we stand before God. And when we're born, actually from the moment of our conception, we are, we are broken by sin. In fact, we are dead to the sin in our lives before the Father. God created mankind to have relationship with him, to have communion with him, and and to rule and subdue the earth, but we're broken when sin entered the world, and we've destroyed that relationship, and it's in Romans, the beginning of Romans 3, uh, about halfway through, it talks about saying how there is no one righteous, not even one, and that none follow God, none obey what he has to say. And it's kind of a bleak situation that none even look after him. But then even when we do look after him, every religion is, going, is trying to, um, to make themselves right with God by following what God says. And, and Paul, in verse 20, we're going to pick up on verse 21, but verse 20 says that, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So even when we try to follow what God has to say. The only thing it does, it reminds us of how sinful we are and how we cannot measure up to God's standard. But then something changes, and in verse 21, it says that, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And I love that because once Christ came and died for us, and when we've placed our faith in him, we become justified before God. And so that's the word that we're gonna be talking about. You can the justified means, basically means that we have been made right with God. So right before that, Romans 3 is telling us is that we all have sinned. We all have fallen short. We're all broken. But in this passage, we're going to see, we're going to show some observations from it that we have been made right with God through what Christ has done on us. And the first observation I want us to see from this passage is that it's done apart from the law. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we have done. And the second part is that it's a righteousness is given through faith for all who believe. And I love this because not only are we standing right before God when we believe in Jesus, we have been given a righteousness. And this righteousness is on our own. We have been given a perfection. We have been given a purity before the Father that he sees in us. And it's not something that we have done, but it's something that Christ has done in us. It's something that Christ has given us. It's been Christ's righteousness, Christ's perfection, Christ's purity, that we can stand before the Father, and he sees us right with him. Next observation from this passage is that all are justified freely. You know, in the one before, it's, it's given through faith. We receive it through faith. So it has to be received through faith, but it can be given freely to all. To all. It's just a reception of it. And when we ask how this was happened, it was, it was because Jesus was offered as atonement. For sins. He, he was offered as a sacrifice for us, and so God sent Christ Jesus, the Son of God, to, to live. He lived a perfect life that we can live. He shed his blood and, on the cross for us. He sacrificed himself to cover our sins, taking the punishment of sins on himself so that we can be right with him. And, and the uh, part of this passage that has hit me the most is that really it was a demonstration of his justice. In this. And I would like to read verse 26 again. He did it. He sent Jesus to be the atonement for our sin. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And one of the uh, most amazing truths that I think we can hold on to and we can be confident in no matter what is that the work on the cross was God's just way of dealing with our sin so that we can be right. With him, that the work on the cross was God's just way of dealing with our sin, so to make us right with him. And I think about it, and we all love for justice to be done, right? If someone hurts us or wrongs us or goes against us, you know, we have that inner thing is they've got to pay for it. They, they don't deserve to get off scot-free on this. They deserve to, to have something happen to them, to do something. I, I kind of remember when I was little and I was riding in the car and my mom was driving down 36 and I remember specifically a blue car um, past us, and he was going like 85, 90 miles an hour flying past us in a couple cars, and a car was coming the other way. He's like going, and the other car's coming, and he goes over in the last minute and makes it, and you know, it was a really close shave, and I remember me thinking and kind of all of us talking in the car, I'm like, what an idiot out there. That buffoon is going to kill everyone. And I remember thinking, I hope he flies off the road and hits a tree so he doesn't kill anyone else on his crazy driving out there. Now it seems like that's kind of a harsh punishment. (laughs) Don't put me in charge of the law. But uh, um, back then, it was just we want justice to be done. And justice is a really good thing. Justice is necessary. And we see the horrible things in the world that takes place. I mean, we just look at slavery in the world and how justice really needs to be done for that. And even the, when we personally get hurt, we hurt people personally. Justice needs to be done. We have a thirst for justice. We have a lust for justice. And the thing is, because of our own conviction that justice needs to be done, that has condemned every single one of us before God by our own heart and feelings of it. Because we have all done heinous things against God the Father that require justice, that require us to be dead and to be separated from him. And you know what? When God sent Jesus to the cross, he justly poured out his wrath on our sins. And I love that picture because we don't have to live in that feeling of being far from God anymore. Through faith in Jesus, we have been made right with him. And, and I think a lot of us sometimes, we struggle because, because we feel our own hurt, we feel our own fallenness, we feel our own brokenness. And how can God love me? But you know what? Christ paid your price on the cross. And you can be confident in your standing before God. You can be confident that you stand before him with the righteousness of Christ, with the purity of Christ. You can be confident in that. So I ask the question, one, do you believe it? And then... Second question, do you live like you believe that? Does the way that you live your life reflect your belief and your security in what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Or do you find yourself feeling like you have to be good enough for God to be pleased with you, to do the right thing for God to be pleased with you? Or when you stumble and fall and go backwards, that you just feel this immense displeasure from God, which don't get me wrong, God hates sin, but he dealt with it justly we can move on from that, and that's actually the foundation for the second piece that we're going to be talking about from the book of Romans in Romans chapter 6, because Paul goes on from that, talks about how, you know, the faith, um, he talks about Abraham and how his righteousness was through the faith, through believing in what God has said and what God has done, and it's a picture of how we, it's really the same way that, um, It's our faith in what Jesus has done for us that is credited at us as as righteousness before the Father. And then it goes and Paul has this argument throughout the book of Romans. And it gets to the point in in Romans chapter 6 that's okay. So if nothing can change the fact that we've been justified before God, if nothing can change the fact that we are right with him and that he sees us with Christ's purity, then Paul, you know, hypothetically throws this argument out there. So does that mean that we can just continue to live our lives however we want? Does this mean that we can sin so that grace increases all of the more? And Paul has a really strong response to this. He says, by no means. And he goes into the picture of how Jesus died on the cross, went to the grave, but he didn't stay there. He rose from the grave three days later. And he died, but then rose from the dead, and he left sin behind. And as he invites us into that same picture that just as Christ has died on the cross, and was resurrected, we share in that death and resurrection. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And really what this picture is, it shows that when we're in Christ, after we've been justified, once we've been justified, we are made new. We are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I love this truth. It's the first truth that's observation from this this passage is that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And really, the truth that we're talking about, it's the journey of sanctification. Once we've been forgiven, we can't stay there. God is doing a work inside of us that he expects us to move and become more and more like Christ as we walk and as we progress. And it's a process, but it's something that is expected. And it's founded in the truth of the fact that now we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Do you believe that? I have to be honest, this is probably the hardest one for me to be confident in, to actually live like I believe this, to live like I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. And the reason why is because, man, I sure see a whole lot of sinful habits that still pop up. But Paul talks on, and he says, you know, in Romans 6, he also says that sin is no longer your master, and you are under grace. And then he talks about this picture of being the slaves to sin, Versus a slave to righteousness and says, yes, at once, one time when you didn't have Christ, you were bound by following the lusts of the flesh, the passion that you have, the greed, the selfishness, the lust, all of these things. But now, once you're set free and you're dead to sin and alive in Christ, you are a slave to righteousness, to the things that God wants to do inside of you to make you more and more like him. And there's a very real reality that's talked about in Romans 7 and Galatians 5 about the war between between the flesh and the spirit and how, you know, our, our spirit wants to do the right thing. We're kind of drawn that way, but our flesh kind of holds us back. And so we don't do what we want to do, but that doesn't change the truth that we are made dead to sin and alive in Christ. And I think the thing that Satan wants to do, if he, can, if he can make us question the truth that we're dead to sin and say you're always going to struggle with that, you're never going to beat that, you're never going to get over that, if he can get us to believe that, that's going to stop us cold in our sanctification process. But the truth is, is we are dead to the sin that's inside of us. We're alive in Christ and are slaves to righteousness. And I have a question written over my Bible in this area that was just a personal to me uh, a while ago, several years ago, that was, who will you obey today? That's what I have, because, because we do have a choice. And the, and the question is, who will you obey today? And I think we each have to make that choice. We can live in the flesh still, or we can live in the way that God has created us to, once we're in Christ, he's redeemed us, made us alive, and we can follow what the Spirit has for us. And I think for some of us, it's hard because we see a lot of the things we have to give up. We see the, the, you know, the subtle things in our lives that, that we just kind of like, or we don't want to put the effort in towards, but God wants to do a work inside of us to ruthlessly eliminate those, to walk in the way that he has for us. And this can be really discouraging because the more you try and try and try, the more you realize you're incapable of doing it, and which is the, um, what, honestly, I think this is uh, probably the most amazing truth about it all, found in Romans 8, is that we don't have to do it in our own power, but we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. So If you'd like to turn in Romans 8, this is going to be um, a longer passage I want to read. I just would, like, you know, just to let the Word of God kind of flow over you, and let the Spirit move in it. Um, the first couple verses talk really about Think about it with the idea of justification and sanctification, being made right with God, and then how that changes us, and then it's going to lead us into the role of the power of the Spirit in our lives. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I want you to listen to this next part, because this tells us who we are. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if God is, is Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I don't know if you caught that, but it kind of talked about the living in the flesh. And if our minds are set on the flesh, we're going to do the things that the flesh wants us to do. But if we have our minds set on what the Spirit desires, we're going to do and we're going to want to do the things that the Spirit desires in us. And then it says, really, for those who are in Christ... This was a message that Paul wrote to a a mass group of Christians. If you are in Christ, it says you are in the realm of the Spirit. That's who you are. So you can live like that. And the power of the Spirit works inside of you so that you don't do the things you don't want to do, but you do the things that God wants to do inside of you. And yes, even though our mortal bodies are still painted by sin, and, and we struggle with sin, and, and God is gracious to us as we, as we fight through that. We are leaving that behind and walking down the path to purity in Christ Jesus. And the process of sanctification, the secret sauce to sanctification, if you will, is that um, sanctification cannot take place without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't have sanctification without the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can't have the Holy Spirit in you without sanctification taking place. Um, do we have a slide for that one? That the you can't have sanctification without the power of the spirit. And the power of the, you can't have the power of the spirit inside of you without the process of sanctification taking place. You can go over actually to the next slide, Larry. <laughs> and what's so neat about this is that It's kind of one and the same thing. It's kind of like, I don't think we can have much of a faith without the confidence in what we're hoping for and the assurance about we do not see. And we can't have sanctification taking place in our lives without the Holy Spirit enabling us to do that. But at the same time, we can't have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives without us walking into sanctification. And I think um, a danger that we might, have in us, and it's a question we have to ask of ourselves, is do we sometimes quench the Spirit in our lives because we don't want God to change us in the way he wants us to go? You know, we talk about how we want, you know, we might want to feel God closer, we might want to feel God moving more, but if we're resistant to what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in our lives, we can't have the Holy Spirit working in us without us desiring to change and to be more like him. And if you're struggling in your sin and you're struggling and you feel stuck, then your hope is in the power of the Holy Spirit that's been given to you when you believe in Christ. So do you you believe this? The question is, do you live like you believe this? This is shown in the way that you live your life, in the way that you fight temptation, in the way that you strive to live in the way that Christ follows. And, and this truth, these truths that we have of justification, of the process of sanctification and the power of the Holy Spirit, this is immensely freeing because it's so much less about what we do, it's so much less about what we strive for, and so much more about just being before the Father, trusting in Jesus, and allowing the power of the Spirit to work inside of us. And probably the one thing I've learned this year and in years previous, is that it is a process, and God is patient. We love for results to happen right away. We love for things to just take place and be done immediately. But that's just not the way uh, life works. That's not the way that that even God is patient with us in our lives. It it is a process. It takes time. But um, Christ has won our purity. Christ has won our righteousness. Christ has won our salvation. And as we're walking and trusting, we get more and more glimpses of it. We see it more in our lives. And he is fulfilling a promise inside of us as we're walking down the road. And so we can take heart. We can have courage to face what needs to be faced because we know that it's his power and not our own. And so uh, I put a question at the end just to, to we talked about this. And the question is, so what? So what do we do? Why Why? Does this matter? How can being confident in these things, how can living like we believe that I stand right before the Father, that me standing right before the Father means that I have a changed life and Christ wants to work in me to do, live the way he wants me to live and he's given me the power of the Spirit to live in that way. So what? And I think that's really what our pure topic is all about. We talk about pure, we're, we're longing, we're praying that this year God would purify our hearts so that we would have pure devotion, pure love, pure generosity, pure pure everything that we've been talking about so far. As we're praying in our hearts for your hearts, for the church here in Westbridge and Danville and the church as a whole, we pray that we have purified hearts. And the beauty is, is Jesus has already won it and we can live in that and walk towards that and continuously grow in that way where we can ignore it and be stuck over here dabbling in things that that's not who we are anymore and that's really rocked my heart this year thinking about um, confidence do I live like I believe it's true and how would my life look if I do live like it's true and so if if there's one thing you you Um, you could do, that I would encourage you to do, especially if you don't do, it's we can't develop confidence or purity in you. I can't, John can't, Tyson can't, no one can, but God can because he's the one who's won it for you. And you can pursue that through the power of the Holy Spirit in reading God's word and through the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. So I would encourage you to get into the word if you're not already in there to dive deep into prayer and communion with God if you don't already do that. And if you ask the age-old question of where do I start, Romans 3 through 8 in this context is actually a pretty good place. You could spend like six months in these chapters if you wanted to, because you would first read it and it'll probably be like whoop, because it's really heavy and a lot of stuff. But the more you read it and the more you pray for the Spirit to move, the more he's gonna reveal to you. And it'll be amazing to see what God's gonna do in your life and in the lives of the church as we come together as one, We seek purity through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for just the love that you have given us. Um, We thank you for uh, just your power, the Spirit. God, I thank you for the work on the cross, that it was your just way of dealing with our sin. And so none of us has to feel condemned. None of us has to feel like, like we are broken before you anymore because you have made us whole. And I pray that that will sink into our hearts, that that will just change us and fill us and transform us to follow you with everything that we have because once we have that, we can't stay the same way that we are. We have to um, grow closer to you because you are our heart's passion and our desire to know more. And so I pray that we would all desire to walk in sanctification, to grow in the way you want us to and that we would rely on the Holy Spirit that you have given us, the fullness of God, in dwelling inside those who believe, to give us the power to live the way you've asked us to. I pray that we will really just um, rely on the Spirit as we seek to live lives that are pleasing to you. And Father, um, just, uh, um, it can be a discouraging journey. It can seem like uh, we're not feeling those things. feel like we're far from you it feels like we're going backwards in our sanctification and it feels like uh, your spirit is missing from us but Lord you've promised that and these promises are true even when we don't feel it so I just pray for those who believe that they would be able to have the confidence in these truths and just the faith that expresses itself through action in these and for those who don't know you might come to know you today in your name I pray amen